Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Burgoon campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. Good morning everyone and welcome to church. We're in the middle of a series called Who is Jesus? It's a series that would take us all the way through to Christmas. As part of that, I want to highlight our book of the month. It's Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper. And I have to say, it is fantastic. And so I encourage you to go and grab a copy from Seas Today. There is one copy, I think, available from the reading room, but there's more than one of us here this morning, so don't do that. Leave that for somebody else and go buy your own copy. So it's available from Seas. It is a fantastic book. I highly encourage you to go and grab copy. Well, this morning we're going to pick up where Michael left off last week and we're going to focus in on Jesus the peacemaker. You know, I look around our world, I, I look at the news or even social media and peace isn't something that our world is particularly known for. With the riots in America last year, over a billion dollars worth of damage, over a billion dollars. It's the Taliban in in Afghanistan. I was watching a clip this week by the BBC which marked the 100th day of Taliban rule. It was just heartbreaking. (coughs) We were interviewing this guy on the side of the road and he says, there is no future. I don't see any future. Poor people in this country have no future. It's just hard to listen to the hopelessness of that statement. They just reopened schools, which is great. Except they're only allowing boys to go back and resume their studies, which isn't so great. There's thousands of kids suffering malnutrition. The footage of this children's hospital was just awful. Just kind of horrible to watch. One of the very first things they did was round up the Christians. And so there were stories coming out of Afghanistan almost immediately about pastors who had their daughters forcibly taken away from them and then married off to the Taliban. Which is really just kind of like sex slavery. We know that our world is broken. You don't have to look that hard to see the decay of our society and our world in general. You don't have to look that hard. It's right there. It's all around us. So much of our world is characterized not by peace, but actually by brokenness and turmoil. And that says nothing about the brokenness that I see in myself. But I know that I am well and truly a work in progress. And God is gracious and loving and incredibly patient. And I'm grateful for that because I know. I know I'm a work in progress. But there's been stuff that I've been grappling with for years. And I wish that wasn't true. I'm not exactly proud of that, but it's true. We're really selfish. I get frustrated sometimes with stuff that just isn't worth it. And I look back and I think, why can't I just get over that? Why do I still do that? But it's true. I think to myself, I would have made a terrible Pharisee. Legalism just doesn't work for me. I don't come out feeling good about myself. I come out thinking, man, I need Jesus. I really need Jesus. Which brings us to 1 Timothy chapter 2, because the story of the Bible makes it really clear. We don't have the capacity to fix the brokenness in us and in our world. We just don't. 
Try as we might, we cannot fix the core root of our problem. We need someone to intercede on our behalf, and that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what First Timothy, sorry, chapter two, talks about. You can open up in your Bibles to First Timothy chapter two. We're going to be looking at just verses five and six. I want to give you a little bit of context this morning. Paul is writing to Timothy. He was a part of his church planting team. He'd already sent Timothy to Ephesus to deal with some of the problems in that church. If you read the book of Ephesus, you know they had some problems. Make us feel good about ourselves. We've got problems too, but not like them, so that's good. <laughs> and here in this chapter, Paul is instructing Timothy to get the church praying. That's the context, the immediate context of the verse that we're going to look at. Get the church praying. He's saying, I urge you to pray for all people. Including those in authority, because a stable and peaceful society creates an environment where it's easier to preach the gospel and see it spread. And that's Paul's main concern. He's all in on the gospel. Jesus is everything. He's the hope of the world. And there is no plan B. It's just Jesus. Which brings us to verse 5, where he says this. He says, for there is one God... And one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. That's a beautiful verse. We believe that. And we believe that Jesus is the lamb who was slain. That he's Messiah, the savior of the world. Now I read that and it gives me hope. But you know, there's a lot of people who read that and get angry. Because of how exclusive it is. They get angry. And Paul is pretty clear. There's one God. Not two, not many. There's one God. And one mediator between God and mankind. The man, Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is pretty upfront with his rejection of the idea. There's many paths or many ways to God. He says, no. There's one way to God. One hope for the world, and his name is Jesus. That's a truth claim. And it's an incredibly exclusive one. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but in 2021, in, in our context, that's not particularly popular. Here's what we're going to do this morning we're going to have a look at the exclusivity of 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to do some apologetics and lean on guys like Dan Patterson. And I just want to put a little note in right up front. That guy is way smarter than I will ever be. So if you want to go deeper on this, go check out Questioning Christianity by Dan Patterson. He is amazing, incredibly smart. And I'm going to be leaning on him as we navigate this together. So go check him out. But that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to deal with this. We're going to look at the exclusivity of that verse. But then we're going to look at how it's actually radically inclusive as well. Paul says that the gospel is, is hope for everyone. Because Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people. And that truly is good news, and we'll get there a little later. But let's start with the uncomfortable stuff. Truth is that Christianity is built on exclusive claims. And that makes some of us, some Christians, really uncomfortable. So they try to twist the Bible. They try to leave out certain parts to make it more palatable. More palatable to who? Well, probably the world. The problem is, 
But Jesus kind of leads the way on this one. But he made some pretty incredibly exclusive claims. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a wild claim. And it's also fundamentally exclusive. Because here's the thing, Jesus wasn't ashamed of the exclusivity of the gospel. So if we are, we've got to be honest, there's a problem. That we're out of step with Jesus. And as people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, that would seem to be a problem. This is something that's fundamental to our faith and it always has been. What was the first commandment that God gave to Moses? You shall have no other God before or, that word can also mean besides me. Isaiah 44 says this, verse 6 says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last besides me. There is no God. Isaiah 43, 11 says, I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. Again and again and again, we see the exclusive claims of Scripture. And for me, it culminates in Mark chapter 12. The scribes and the Pharisees are talking to Jesus and they ask him, out of all the commandments in Scripture, and there's a lot of them, right? So out of all the commandments in Scripture, which one is the most important? And Jesus says the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And they were asking Jesus what's at the core of our faith. And he says, Yahweh is the only God. And your job is to love him with all that you are. And then to love the people around you. That's it. That's the heart of our faith. And you cannot get around the exclusive nature of that claim. But we live in a world that sees that exclusivity as a form of arrogance. Who are you to tell me what's true and what's not? You want me to believe that you're right and all of us are wrong. I mean, aren't all religions basically the same anyway? But that's the claim that we hear all the time. That all religions are, are fundamentally the same and, and our differences are really just superficial. So if there is a God, we're probably all worshipping the same God and we just don't know it. Well, from an apologetics point of view, the first thing that we'd say is just because Christianity is true doesn't mean that everything from other religions is false. That's not the claim that we're making. We don't have to make that claim. Dan Patterson puts it like this. He said, Hindus believe the supernatural dimension operates alongside our own. Muslims believe that there is only one God and that he speaks by revelation. Jews believe that God provides the basis for objective morality and secular humanists believe that human beings have inalienable or indisputable rights. So not every claim from other religions is false. Our shared ground can be celebrated. Rather, the Christian story is that Jesus told us the whole truth about spiritual reality. 
John 1.1, 1, 1, that he is the word made flesh. And that whoever departs from what Jesus teaches, however sincere they might be in their belief, however admirable their life might be where they contradict Jesus, they are sadly mistaken. There is shared ground and we can celebrate that. In fact, I would say that shared ground is an avenue for the gospel. I mean, that's what we see Paul doing in Acts chapter 17. You might remember the story, he's walking around Athens and he sees this shrine dedicated to the unknown God. And he uses that as a way of introducing them to Yahweh. Let me tell you about this unknown God. Let me tell you what he's actually done for you. There is shared ground and we celebrate that. But for us it all comes back to Jesus. That's, that's what it is for us. It's Jesus. And the reality is that Jesus made some incredibly exclusive claims that just do not gel with the claims of other religions. And we need to be honest about that. Sometimes I think that we, we get kind of ashamed of the exclusive nature of our faith. We shy away from that. But the truth is, every religion and every take on spirituality makes exclusive claims. The Muslims do, the Hindus do, the Buddhists do. Even the religious pluralists who, who think that we're all actually worshipping the same God, we just kind of need to get over ourselves. Even they make exclusive claims. Whether they admit that, or not, they make exclusive claims. And I'll give you an example. The analogy that they use all the time is the parable of the blind man and the elephants up on the screen. It's the cartoon version. You've probably heard of it. It's a group of blind dudes who are reaching for this elephant. The elephant represents God, by the way, in this parable, this story. Because they're all touching different parts of the animal, they all come to very different conclusions. So it goes something like this. The first guy grabs the elephant's tail and says, oh, wow, God is like a rope. The next guy grabs the elephant's ear and says, no, 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 God is like a palm leaf. Another blind guy grabs the elephant's leg and says, no, you're all wrong. God is like a tree. And the last guy grabs the elephant's trunk and says, oh, you blind fool. God is like a python. That's the analogy. That's the parable. This is used all the time. And the analogy is basically saying that Christians and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and every other religion that you could possibly think of, we're all grabbing hold of different aspects of the elephant, different aspects of God. And the only reason that we make such exclusive claims is because of our blindness. That's what it's saying. And we may not realize that we're all grasping the same spiritual reality in a sense we're all right, all of us. And yet, really importantly, at the same time, we're all wrong. Because God is actually all of those things. Now that sounds nice. It sounds very 2021. And young people love this. We just call ourselves spiritual. We don't put ourselves in any camp and we'll just kind of believe in everything, right? And everybody's good and we're all together. But he's the other <coughs> elephant in the room. That's a truth claim, and it's exclusive. I mean, if you take a step back from that analogy, the narrator is basically saying, unlike everyone else, I can see. Hindus are blind, the Buddhists are blind, 
The Muslims are blind, the Christians are blind, all of them are blind. But me, the religious pluralists, I think they probably call themselves spiritual. Me, I can see. I can see what you can't. That's an incredibly exclusive claim. And it almost sounds like something that Jesus would say. That's how bold it is. And it's used under the guise of tolerance and inclusivity. But you can only put people in the same category who are making exclusive and actually contradictory statements if you first dismantle all of their core beliefs. So we're all worshipping the same God, but here's the caveat. Jesus isn't the way, the truth, and the life. As C.S. Lewis would say, that means he's either a liar or he's a lunatic. Either way, he's not the mediator between God and mankind. He's not the hope of the world. That's a truth statement. And it's every bit as exclusive as the one that we make as Christians. I love the way that Dan puts it. He says, there's a very good reason why we keep bumping into exclusivity. Because truth, by definition, is exclusive. When a scientist claims to have developed a better hypothesis to explain quantum gravity, do we label them as arrogant for excluding other hypotheses? No. When a doctor claims to have diagnosed our symptoms, do we call them intolerant of all the other potential ailments? No. And the real question isn't whether they're exclusive, the real question is whether they're right. That's all that matters. Every religion, every take on spirituality is exclusive, even when they say they're not. It's a level playing field in that regard. So the real question is, which one is true? Which one is compelling and life-giving? And this is where the gospel shines. Because as exclusive as our faith might be, it's also radically inclusive. Paul says there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. But then he goes on to say that man gave himself as a ransom for all people. That word is pass. It means each, every, any, the whole, everyone. You cannot get a more inclusive word. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, or what you've done in your life, Jesus died for you. That's the gospel. We talk about salvation being a free gift of grace. But that's not to say there wasn't a cost. It's free for us, but that's only true because the price has already been paid. That's the whole point of the cross. Every one of us looks at our world and we can agree it's broken. That's common ground, by the way. Every one of us can look at the world and go, man, something is wrong. The Christian story says that all of that is a byproduct of the broken relationship between God and mankind. And yet this is where the gospel sets itself apart. See, Buddhism says he's the eightfold path. Follow that. And it'll lead you to nirvana. Islam says if your good works outweigh your bad, 
So if you follow the will of Allah and obey the law, then maybe you'll end up in paradise. But the gospel says you don't have to do anything because Jesus has already done everything. That's the gospel. That he paid the price for our rebellion. That he is the bridge between an infinitely holy God and an undeniably broken people. They stood in the gap for you and for me. That's what that word mediator means. Someone who intervenes between two parties in order to make or restore peace and friendship. That's who Jesus is. He's the peacemaker. And on the cross, he opened the door for us to once again walk in relationship with the God of the universe. And all we have to do is believe. That's it. Believe. We have to earn it. It's not about following some path or reaching some level of enlightenment because those things in and of themselves exclude people. It's about grace. It's about unmerited favor. The unmerited favor of a God who says in verse 4 that he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's radically inclusive. It's good news for all of us because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter if you think that you come with absolutely empty hands. Because it's about Jesus, it's good news for all of us, anyone in any circumstance. That's radically inclusive. You know, we started this morning with the brokenness of our world, but I want to finish with the transformational power of the gospel. I wanted to chuck a photo up on the screen, but I only thought about this last night, and that seemed just a little bit too late. So uh, you just have to imagine it instead, all right? I just want you to picture, even though you've never seen them. I want you to picture some of the most inspirational people that I've ever met, and that's at his grandparents. They were missionaries in PNG for over 40 years. They're actually the first missionaries to reach out to the Badamani people in the highlands of PNG. The truth is that nobody else wanted to go because they were cannibals. That's understandable. It's <laughs> a bit of a put off. And they would lure in strangers and other tribes, and, and this is true, they would they put on this incredible hospitality. You think, wow, what a welcoming tribe, but actually they were just fattening them up. <laughs> that sounds crazy, I know, but I promise you, that's true. That's what they said. Have some more. We're going to eat you later, but don't worry about it. Let's have some more. They're heavily into witchcraft. They would commune with the spirits, even go out on spirit walks. And it was just a dark, dark place. And Tom, which is, and his grandfather, when him and a couple other guys eventually made their way up the mountain, half the tribe wanted to eat them straight away. And the other half only stopped them because they thought they might be useful. They brought machetes and they were white, so maybe they'll be useful later on. But even then, it's kind of 50-50, so we can always eat you later on. As they started to engage with the Badamani people, they found out that the common ground that we were talking about before See, the Benamian people had this origin story about a child crying in a bush. 
There was a good spirit that was taking care of that child. And while the good spirit was away getting some fruit from the tree of life, the chief of all of the bad spirits came along and fed the child fruit from the tree of death. That sounds strangely familiar, doesn't it? There's more because just like our story, that moment represented for them the moment they were cut off from eternal life. So that this bloodthirsty tribe constantly at war with the other tribes around them, eating people. But they're also this group of people who longed for the eternal life they'd lost, built into their culture. And that was Tom and Salome's shrine to an unknown God. That was their inroad for the gospel. And so over time, they continued to build relationships and to share the gospel. And then Jesus did what he did best. He drew them to himself. A whole tribe came to the Lord. A whole tribe was revival. They gave up cannibalism. They gave up witchcraft. The violence stopped. They were just a radically changed people. So if you go to Mogulu today, it's a hospital and there's a school, and there's a thriving youth group. It's the base that missionaries use to actually reach out to other tribes in the highlands. And people walk for days to come and to worship together in Mogulu. It's where they train pastors and send them out. That is a complete change from darkness to life, because that's what Jesus does. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to anyone who believes. The question is, are we ashamed of the gospel? Tentative to share it. Or are we ready for any opportunity that the Lord might bring our way? May we be a people who are passionate about the gospel because we know that Jesus changes lives every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you continue to save people. You change not just individual lives, you change communities. You change nations. This is the great power and the hope of the gospel, and we thank you for it, Jesus. We know that it's not an easy thing for us, Father. And in our world, there's a sense where the exclusive nature of the gospel is just absolutely unpalatable. And yet we know it's the truth because we've seen its power with our own eyes. And so we just pray, Jesus, that, you'd, that we would be a people who are passionate about the gospel, who are all in on the gospel just like Paul was, who would see the truth. You are the peacemaker. You are the mediator between God and mankind. We have this message. Father, may we be a people who are ready to share it with any opportunity. May we see lives be transformed. May we hear these stories 
We think you were back to the baptism a couple of weeks ago, but we want more, Jesus. We want to see people radically changed by the gospel. And so we ask for it in the precious name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you. If you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.